right, man. Wow. Great worship. It might just be because I didn't have to focus on anything but singing today. Thank you. Kobe, back in the house. Uh, I just wanted to bring some of these lyrics back. Man, I'm so good today. And it really sets us up for what we're going to talk about today. Everybody awake this morning? Say, oh, yeah. I'm glad y'all are here. Um, I'm really excited about what the Lord's communicating to the body and things he wants to say today and things he's been saying all week to me, just dealing with me about my own, uh, you know, my own limitations and my own uh, sin in my life, my own uh, fixations or whatever you want to call it. I've got some stuff, man, that God's dealing with. And, and so today, man, worship was very, very real to me. hope it was for you too. But just this, this idea, of the course of the greatness of our God, just catch this. Y'all ready? Grab these lyrics again, okay, because you might not grab them the first time. Sometimes we sing and we're not really engaged. It says, no, no sky contains and no doubt restrains all that you are. Okay, so you can't, you know, the, the skies can't contain it. And, you know, I love, I love that idea of the, the love of God being written in the, in the skies. There's, there's some lyric from an old hymn that says, uh, if the sky, if, if uh, basically, if the ocean was ink and uh, every man a quill and the, the sky was parchment or a, a composition book in our terms, <laughs> you couldn't write the love of God if you stretched it from sky to sky. So just understanding the depths of that. And he says, uh, I'll spend my life to know. I spend my life to know, and I'm far from close to all you are. And take that in for just a second. Man, that is so real to me right now. I spend my life to know, and I have. I mean, I, I have spent my life to know the greatness of, of, of God, but I'm far from close to all that he is. Far from close. And, and, I, and what I'm realizing is the things that are stopping us from seeing the, the, the goodness of God, the greatness of our God, it's not that he's not shining out and showing his greatness all the time. It's that we are still blinded by works, by our own efforts to try and be good, be somebody, whatever. I, I think that's what blinds me, and I'm really convinced that that's what's blinding us as a church. If there's anything that's blinding us, it's our attempts to be somebody and be good. That's blinding us from the greatness of God. Because the greatness of God is that he doesn't require us to be good. You see how contradictory that is? Man, we think we've got to tr- go and try real hard to be good so that God will be pleased. And the truth is that God's already perfectly pleased with you if you've just received Christ and his righteousness. He's already perfectly pleased with you. Your righteousness is taken care of. Nothing required from you. That's a whole different picture than me trying to be good. Me trying to be good is heavy. It's, it doesn't make me think of God as great. It, thinks, it makes me think of God as, as harsh and judgmental and, con, and condemning. And so we're going to talk about that today and how that applies to, to this letter that Paul's writing to Timothy. But listen, church, really, grab this today. Last week we talked about the fact that Paul was writing to Timothy who he trusted would speak a message of grace only, not grace plus good works, not grace plus um, knowledge, this great secret knowledge that the Gnostics claim to have, just Christ crucified and his grace covering our sins. And Paul was concerned because there were false teachers who were trying to add to that something else. 
And so their, their, my, their minds and eyes have been blinded to the truth about who God was. And so Paul says, Timothy, I'm going to need you to stay there because you understand this. And I'm going to need you to preach it over and over and over again. I need you to knock them in the head over and over again. What was that quote by Luther this morning? Who read that? Gary? What did he say? Knock them in the head? <laughs> Martin Luther said, continually beat grace into their heads because they're not going to get it. We don't get it. Does everybody realize you do not get grace? It's, you, you're, you spend your life to know, and you're far from close to understanding how good the grace of God is. And, and, and we, we have spent our lives doing something else. Uh, we want to know God, but we have spent our lives trying to be somebody and do something. And so, man, let's get it this morning because this is the message that, that Paul was speaking to Timothy. He's saying, look, uh, uh, whatever you do, address these false teachers because what they're doing is they're robbing the people at Ephesus from the joy that they can have in Christ. They're robbing them of the real knowledge of who God is, and that's everything. If you don't know God, you can't love God. You got to know him to love him. I'm not saying you can't say, oh, I love God. You can say it, but you can't really love him until you know him. And the deeper that you know him, the more you love him. And so we've got to break out of this. You know, as I think about the Gathering Place West, we talked last week about, about my call to plant churches. If I'm to leave here, I need to know this. If I ever leave this place, I need to, I, I, need to, I mean, obviously I don't have to be, I'm not in control or responsible for making this happen in your heart. But I need to know that there are people here, there's a congregation here that gets this. So we're going to beat it in our heads again today because God called us to do First Timothy. And if Timothy had to, if God was telling Timothy, preach it to that church at Ephesus, one of the best churches in the New Testament, then we need to hear it again. All right? And we need to grab it in a way we've never grabbed it before. The truth is God's grace is sufficient. It is all we need. And we don't have to worry about living a righteous life. Because that, listen, that's the fruit of knowing the gra- and experiencing the grace of God. The Bible never tells us that in the new covenant, from the time Christ died on the cross, there's never a command for us to do something to gain anything from God, to gain his approval. Not one time. All of what we do after the cross is we do it out of a heart of love for God once we realize who he is. But we don't realize it. We still don't. So let's get into it today. We're going to talk about that. Paul takes the time in his letter to Timothy. Last week he told Timothy, uh, he said, listen, here's what I need you to do. I need you to address the false teachers that are there. Some of them are teaching uh, the law. They're still teaching the law. They're still teaching that you have to be, you have to follow all the Sabbath rules and uh, all the regulations and the sacrificial laws and uh, all the feasts and festivals, all those things. You have to continue to follow those in order to meet, maintain your relationship with God. They're still teaching that. And so Paul said, don't listen to them. Can you imagine how hard it was for them not to listen, though? Look, if all of your authority up until the time of Jesus was following the law, don't dare miss a, Sabbath, a feast or a festival. Uh, don't dare miss... Uh, making your sacrifice. Don't dare, make, don't dare not do the washings and the cleansings before you go into the temple because you are under the wrath of God if you didn't do it. 
Don't dare miss any of that. And then all of a sudden, none of that matters anymore to make you righteous. None of that matters as far as God looking at you and saying you are just or unjust. Now, they did even their actions based on faith. But listen, it was a works-based religion. That's what the law was. And it had purpose. We're going to talk about that today. But that purpose is not to cause God to smile on you, to look at you and say, wow, you are a great person. You know what's going to make God look down at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant, is if you have Christ in your life, period. That's it. The righteousness of God has been given to you, and your sins have been placed on him. Done. Now, that should motivate us to want to live for God, and it will if you get that. So let's dive in this morning. Paul's going to take the time. He says, now, don't, I want you to address these teachers, and I want you to address the people in Ephesus, the church, and remind them not to listen to that stuff. So today, you're going to be one of each of those or both of those. I want you to, be, to hear this message that when you're speaking about God, don't, don't, you, don't speak. Or you hear somebody speaking a truth about God or, or something that they claim to be truth and it's legalism, don't listen to it. Or don't, don't uh, rebuke it. But then also, as a member of this body, hear this. This is not how we're supposed to live. All right, First Timothy. So he goes on to describe it. He wants them to understand. They're dealing with this problem. They're thinking, but the law has been what God wanted all these years. And, and the law is good, right? They, they feel that. Some of you have lived in, in rules and regulations all of your life. You did things because the church said you're supposed to do them. You did things because your mom or your dad told you you're supposed to do them. That's what your life has been. Or you didn't do things when your mom and dad or the church told you to do it. And you think that God is judging you based on all of that. But he's not. So, so they needed to be reminded, listen, it's going to sound like truth coming from those people around you who are still stuck in that. Who are going to come to you and say, listen, you, you're, not, you're not going to church on Sunday nights. You didn't, you didn't give your tithe or you didn't, you didn't have a quiet time last week. And you didn't and, and name the list and go down the list of things that you're supposed to do and check off on your envelope. Right? And, and, and so we feel the same way. And so when they say that, yeah, there's a little something inside of us, a habit, an old way of living that, that rises up. And we think, are they right? Oh, that seems right. You know, is that the way I'm supposed to continue to live? It, that seems right. And so Paul's addressing that. Verse 8. Well, that was a long introduction. The rest of it will be shorter. Paul says this. He says, now we know that the law is good. If anyone uses it lawfully. Understand this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of God the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. He says, and he says the law is good, first of all. All right, let's talk about that for just a second. We're not saying that the law is not good. The law is good. Matter of fact, do you know that Jesus never broke any command from the law? The Old Testament law. Not one time did he ever break the Old 
commandments. He lived perfectly according to the law. The law was given by God. It was designed by God. It is good. Everything the law commands us to do is good. God gave it to us, and it's good. Okay? So when you look at the law, there's good in it. We might not be able to see the good in it all the time, but there is good in all of it. And Jesus lived his life perfectly. You know, he's the only one that ever lived a perfect life. And so we can't say the law was bad. It was good, okay, in that sense. But in this context, look at what he's saying. He's saying in the way that we use it, it can be good. The law had, there was an intent tied to the giving of the law. God had a purpose, and in its purpose, it is good. Primarily, the purpose of the law was to be a teacher to us was to teach us how to live, uh, first of all. And, and if the law is used within the economy of the gospel, he says here, as long as it's used uh, in accordance with the gospel of glory. If it's used in context of the gospel, it is good. It's fantastic, actually. So the law is good. It's good in its content. It's good in its purpose, as long as it's used in the economy of the gospel. And when he talks about it being good, he uses it two different ways. He says uh, it's, it's useful in its content for those who have not yet come to Christ. He calls them the lawless and the disobedient, and he gives a whole lot of descriptions of different sins, all right, that are the examples of lawlessness and disobedience. But he's not talking about those sins are not what makes a person lawless. A person who's lawless is one who's rejected the righteousness of Christ. A person that's lawless is is the opposite of a person who's just that he describes here. All right, so who's a person that's just? A person that's just is not a man who pulls himself up by his own bootstraps and does really well at being a good Christian. That's not a just person. You realize that the Bible describes your best as filthy rags. I don't need to get into the little translation of filthy rags, but look it up. Filthy rags. That's the, that's the best that we have to offer God. When he looks at that, he says, filthy rags. And if God was looking at us and saying that the law is not for the just, then, then he would be talking about us pulling ourselves up, but he's not. He's saying it's those who have not yet accepted the righteousness of Christ as a substitute righteousness for them. Everybody gets substitute, right? A substitute is one that takes the place of. Christ is the propitiation or the substitute for us. He stands in our defense and in our stead. So his righteousness is given to you. So when God looks at you, he can look at you one of two ways. It's up to you, really, and your choice, maybe today. God looks at you and says, uh, if you want to stand as an, a lawless person who says, I'm going to do my very best to not commit those sins that are listed there in that scripture, then God looks at you and says, good luck. Even if you didn't, even if you didn't commit those sins, you're still filthy rags. Or you can choose to say, I'm going to receive the free gift of Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive the righteousness of God as a gift. God, you're saying you're going to give it to me? I accept. I receive that. And then God looks at you and says, perfect. 
and you are no longer responsible to follow all the laws of the Old Testament. I can't get it any simpler than that. You are no longer responsible to follow all those laws. That's not what's going to make you right with me anymore. And so Paul says, please, whatever you do, Timothy, communicate this clearly. The law is laid down for the lawless. You think about even the laws. The laws of most nations are based on the Old Testament laws. You go back and you look at the Old Testament, you look at the laws that are, like if you break this law, you're going to end up in jail type laws. The laws that the governments have. That law is made for, for, for who? The just? No, it's made for the lawless. Because when you're lawless and you don't have, the, your, your spirit has not come to life by the spirit of God coming in and opening your heart up to understand what is good and evil, right and wrong then you need something on the outside to tell you all the time, something that comes from God that says, this is how you're supposed to live and act. And so that's from the outside. That's what it was made for. Paul makes that clear to Timothy. That's what that law is for. And, and, and make sure that my people understand that, that the law is for those who don't know me. It's going to give them some, some semblance of what it means to live right and to, and to protect them, to live a, a, a good life if they live by these laws. But ultimately... The purpose of the law was to bring us to the end of ourselves, to make us realize we can't do it ourselves. We can't keep the law. We need, and we have to be perfect in order to be accepted by God. So what are we going to do? i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to receive the righteousness of Christ given to me as a free gift. I'm going to receive that. And I'm gonna, when, when anybody says, but you're not following the law, I'm going to say, oops, I have already followed the law perfectly. I've not committed one sin in the eyes of God. Did you know you can say that if you're a child of God? If you receive the Spirit in your life, I've not committed one sin. Look at Jesus. Don't look at me. Now, I'm fumbling around trying to do things right because I want to. My heart's been changed. But don't look at me and say that God's holding something against me. He's not. It's false accusation. There's a great song that Shane and Shane wrote. It talks about that. It's called embracing accusation. Embrace the accusation. It comes from the enemy who's telling you you're wrong, you're wrong, you're pitiful, you'll never make it, uh, you know, you, you're, you're, uh, you're doomed uh, by your own righteousness. Look, look at how poor you're living. Just say, you're right. But you've forgotten the second verse of the refrain, Jesus saves. I'm depending on the righteousness of Christ, so don't look at me. Look at him because that's what God does. Now, that changes everything. Can you get that in your mind this morning? Say, oh, yeah. I think you can. Get it in there. Let that sink in this morning. The righteousness of Christ is there for your behalf. So the just that he talks about are sinners who've been made righteous, justified. That word justified, here's a good definition. You've been justified by the blood of Christ just as if I'd never sinned. That's a good way to think about it. You have sinned, and you are going to continue to sin. Some of you are probably sinning right now in some way. Your thoughts, your, you know, whatever. Wives elbowing your husbands, that's a sin. Right? Husbands straighten out your wives, just. No, I'm just picking. Just as if I've never sinned. God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. So that, re- that kind of relationship with God, 
it results in a progressive move toward righteousness and righteous living. When, we have, when we've been justified by Jesus Christ and we understand it, that changes us on the inside in such a way it moves us towards being righteous people. We desire it. Our heart's been transformed. We see God as loving and caring and, and standing on our behalf and singing over us and dancing over us even when we we're miserable failures in trying to do what we want to do for him. And God stands there and, and gives us his grace. Romans chapter 6, just a couple of verses. By the way, if this is foreign concepts to you, I would encourage you to read two books, and I'm going to read some out of both of them, the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. I've already preached through both of those. We'll do it again, I'm sure, soon. But the book of Romans and Galatians, that's all it talks about. It is the story of the grace of God and the righteousness of Jesus given to us, even though we don't deserve it. Matter of fact, while we're in rebellion against God. But let me read a little bit out of that. Romans 6, 13 and 14. It says, Do not present your members, which is your body, the parts of your body, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under what? The law, but under grace. Sin doesn't have a dominion over somebody who's not under the law. But if you're under the law, sin has dominion over you. You, you just look at how you respond when someone tells you, you can't. What do you do? <laughs> yeah, I can. Right? You're, don't tell me what I can't do. That's sin inside of us. It, it swells up. Our, it's our old habit of swelling up. If, we, if we're newborn, we don't have sin inside of us anymore. But it's our old habit. We respond to that in a, in a, a way of, of wanting to sin. That's what sin does. It has dominion over us by telling us what we can't do or, or telling us what, what we want to do when the law says you can't do it and there's no power for us to overcome it. But we can overcome. Sin doesn't have dominion over us because we're under grace. We can do what we want. So now what are we going to do? And now that I can do what I want, I want to live for God. It's what I want. It's what my heart wants. Galatians 5, 17, 18. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. All right, plenty of scriptures in Romans and Galatians about that, but just two passages that tell us we are not under the law. All right, so when he talks about lawless, the lawless, they're not just sinners. All of us have sinned. When he talks about the lawless in this passage, that the, that the law was for the lawless, he's talking about all uh, of those who are, have rejected the righteousness of God and the free gift of, of righteousness that we get in Jesus. If you rejected that, then you are law, lawless, and the law applies to you. Galatians chapter 3 shows us how the law gets us to the end of ourselves. Verse 23 says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So there was a time when the coming faith would be revealed, he said. 
We used to live under the law. Now we no longer do. He says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. It was our guardian like it is for our country right now. The law, the laws that are based on the law of God, all these laws and rules and regulations are our guardian. But if, if all of the, the United States of America, if every citizen received the righteousness of Christ and the spirit of God came into their lives, they would no longer be under the law. They would be under grace. And then we would live without having to, to have the policemen telling us, you better or else. We would, we would live according to the law. All right, so he's saying it was our guardian, and we need that in this country because they're lawless people. Some of you may be still lawless, not depending on the righteousness of God. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. In other words, there is no body. Who's exempt from this? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Nobody's above anybody else. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So the law was our guardian until Christ came to live in us and become our righteousness. All right, so in all those ways, the law is good. The law has done what it's supposed to do. It's good in its content. It's good in its purpose. It's moved us to a place of dependence upon God and realization that that uh, we, we can never be righteous on our own. And yet, we still try. And yet, the church at Ephesus was still trying to, to add something to the, the righteousness of Christ. And so Paul says, Timothy, I'm going to need you to stay there because you get it. And I'm going to need you to say this over and over again and beat it into their heads until they get it. Because they don't. The leaders don't get it and the people don't get it. Stay there and beat it into their heads. Church, listen. Gathering Place West, please listen. I need you to beat it into each other's heads. God needs us to beat it into each other's heads. We need to say it over and over again. And when you hear somebody who's operating out of the old way of life, the old legal system of trying to earn something or be something in order to gain something from God, address it. Let's, let's say it over and over again. You can't say it too much. There are some of you maybe that will not keep coming to this church because you hear the same thing over and over again. But we need to be reminded until we get it. And we need to get it in such a way we can give it away to people. Because this community is full of people like I used to be saying, you better do this, do this, do this, and you're gonna, you know, don't forget to make sure you follow this list. Don't do these things. They're saying it over and over again. And, and, and whether we mean it or not, what this community is receiving is that we got to be good in order to be accepted by God. we got a message. So that's why Paul's reminding Timothy of this truth. Those in Ephesus were teaching that what Jesus did was not enough to satisfy God's demand for righteousness in a righteous life. They were telling Christians that they had to release the law uh, for the righteousness of Jesus, that they needed to continue to walk in the old legal system to keep the feasts and festivals and be circumcised and follow rules regarding washings and the Sabbath, etc., in order to be united with God. Now, these, those elements of the law, remember, are consistent with sound doctrine, but they were not used in the economy of the, of the gospel. There's nothing wrong with those things. As a matter of fact, some of those things, Passover, for instance, is 
is, is not contrary to sound doctrine. What did Jesus do to Passover? That, that doctrine of Passover and following that feast. Matter of fact, we need to probably do more with Passover. We do some. You know, we have communion. That's our way of communicating the same truth that was communicated at, at, uh, in the Passover feast. That is that the righteousness of God is given to us by the blood. You put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the death angel will pass over you. We get, we get good treatment from God based on the blood of the lamb. And then Jesus changed the meaning of that to move it from the lamb to himself. He says, I am the lamb, right? I am the lamb. And you drink this cup. You eat this bread. And when you have this feast from now on, you do this feast with me in mind. Man, it took on more meaning because of what Christ did on the cross. And so, but let's remember, the righteousness of, of God has been satisfied for us. Now, verse 10. He makes a once-for-all statement. I just want to say this and move on. But he says, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Whatever else is contrary to sound, sound doctrine, don't teach that. Teach only the things that are in, in accordance with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach only those things that are, that are in conjunction with and in connection with and in concert with the gospel of Jesus. Saved by grace. Free gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. The righteousness of God giving to, given to us that what we could not do in our, in our own flesh because we were weak in our bodies, God did by sending Christ. All of that, those are the things that are in accordance with the gospel. So don't water down the gospel in order to promote sin. Don't say to people, oh, you don't have to live by the law. You can go do whatever you want to do. That's one example of teaching in something that is not in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You just go live your life in sin. You know, just continue to sin. It's covered. Pray this little prayer. Get in the baptistry waters, whatever else your church tells you you have to do, and then everything's fine. That's not in accordance with the gospel. Accordance with the gospel is this. If you have been saved and you've been justified by Christ, then walk in him. We just read it. Walk in as one who's been transformed and, and changed. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. So walk like that. But also, don't let anybody add to it with other demands, religious demands that are not found in the gospel. Now, Paul is a living, breathing example of this. You know why Paul gets it? Because Paul is a living, breathing example of one who was under the law, taught the law, was a proponent of the law, was the one that everybody wanted to hear from. He was studied under the best people. He was one of the strongest of all the Jewish leaders. And he was transformed to the point that none of that meant anything to him. He's a living, breathing example of that. Look at 1 Timothy 1, the next verse. He picks up in verse 12 and says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to save the world 
uh, came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ, might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of all ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul taught Timothy to live in the grace of God through Jesus alone, and Paul was an example of that. He was an example of that. Look at the things that he says. He says, I thank God, first of all, who has given me strength. He knows that his strength comes from God to be able to overcome his background and his heritage and his, uh, and his pride and all the things that, came, uh, that he grew up with. Being somebody based on all that, it's the grace of God. He understands that. But then he also says that God judged me faithful. God didn't judge Paul qualified because of his background, because of his seminary degrees, because of his experience and his upbringing in a good Christian Jewish family. No, not Christian, but a good Jewish family. For us, it would be a good Christian family. It, nothing was based on any of, of his heritage. Paul said, God considered me faithful. And that was it. That's what qualified him. Not, not qualified, not worthy, but faithful. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul tells us about his qualifications based on man's standards. Verse 3 of Philippians 3 says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right, now here's what Paul's about to do. If there's anybody in here who wants to say, you're good enough to gain favor from God? If there's anybody in here, let me just say that today. If there's anybody in here that says you're good enough to gain favor from God, I got more. I'm going to say I got more of this congregation. I got more. I'm the pastor. I'm the leader. I got a PhD from the seminary. I, got, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. I've been in church all of my life. I've served God in all kinds of countries and, and, and places. I've taught, te- taught leaders how to lead churches. I've got more. That's what Paul's saying. If you want to base your righteousness, base your acceptance by God on your goodness, I got more. And he goes on to describe it. Look at what he says. He's trying to help these guys understand. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason, I've got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, I persecuted those who were against the law, against the way the, the, I was, the, against the Pharisees. I was persecuting them, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He followed every rule. He wasn't blameless, but he was close. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Listen to this. Ready? Everybody ready? Say, oh, yeah. Here's the key verse. Not And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
Isn't that sweet? Paul says, I have no righteousness of my own. I just described to you my righteousness based on the law. And now let me say, I have no righteousness. I, I don't want any of my righteousness. I would rather have the righteousness that comes from faith in Christ. That is, I would rather have this life that's been transformed because I received Christ and his righteousness. And I would rather live in response to that than try and be, live according to the law. Now, a couple of things that Paul said as we close. Listen, don't get this because this is where we are. He said, first of all, he said God received him because he acted out of ignorance. Paul really thought at the time that he was living according to all those rules and regulations and, and using his pedigree to get in places and to get him to study under Gamaliel and other leaders to, to, to give himself the best of the best opportunity to be the religious person in town, the guy that everybody looked up to. Paul said, when I was in the midst of doing all that stuff, Paul really thought that it was the right thing. Does anybody here have that testimony that you, when you were living in legalism based on rules of here's the things you do, here's the things you don't do, was there anybody here that would say you thought you were doing the right thing? I do. That was my life. I thought I was doing the right thing. I was climbing the ladder and becoming the leader in that, just like Paul was. I thought I was doing what was right. I didn't do that because I, I thought God wanted me to do something else, and then I, I'm in rebellion. I'm going to be my own man. No, man, I thought I was doing the right thing. And Paul said, I acted in ignorance, and you have too. You've acted in ignorance too. But if you've heard the truth today, and you understand what I'm saying, that righteousness comes from Christ alone, from his blood being shed for you, not from the things that you do, and you understand it now, you are no longer acting in ignorance. Now you're going to be acting in rebellion against the truth. This is the message Paul wanted to say to tell the church at Ephesus. Paul said, Timothy, tell them this because they're hearing all the time, you've got to add to it. You better be righteous. You better be good. You better do all these things. And it is, is counterproductive. It makes us think about doing those things instead of thinking about God and dwelling on him and loving him and acting out of response to that. So he acted out of ignorance, and so do we. Paul said, I received mercy and was called to show the depths of God's grace. I was the foremost of sinners. Paul wasn't saying that tongue-in-cheek. Paul wasn't saying that to try and act like he was humble. It wasn't false humility for Paul. Paul understood that all that stuff did is make it harder for him to come to Christ. And so he had to have this Damascus Road experience where God blinds him and says, you know, I'm fixing to show you who I really am. I'm fixing to show you that you've been wrong. And I'm fixing to tell you that you've been persecuting the church. You are not leading the church. You're persecuting the church. And God woke me up the same way, man. There was a day uh, when I realized I'd been persecuting the church by asking, by trying to motivate people by some self-righteousness or some, something they could dig up from within themselves. Uh, I've been to motivate people by making them feel guilty or shameful or, or trying to set a standard and say, you know, live up and be like me or be like whoever it is that we hold up to say, this is a good Christian, be that person. That all of that, all that was doing was persecuting the church. And Paul says, I don't want none of that anymore. Matter of fact, that's rubbish. I give it away. Take it as dung. I don't want it anymore. That, that has no appeal to me whatsoever because I found this, righteousness in Christ. It's free. Gift from God. And it's transforming my life. So where are you today in regard to that? You know, Paul is telling us, church, 
gathering place. Glenn preached to the church, to the gathering place, that they need to quit receiving false teaching from people who are trying to add to the gospel some type, some type of works, whatever it is. You don't have to say, you don't have to say, yeah, Glenn, it's grace, but don't forget, you're supposed to also live for God. I don't need to tell you that. I'm not concerned about that. If you receive the grace of God and you understand that you have the righteousness of Christ and you do it from a repenting heart that says, I never knew it, I receive it, thank you, God, it's going to transform you in a way you'll live for God. You're not going to be perfect. Look at me. You're going to, but you're going to want to. And you're going to move towards a better life. And you're going to be more obedient than you were last time. But you've got to receive that. Got to accept that. We need to hear that today and receive it and let that be the message of this body. Y'all believe that? Say, oh, yeah. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we need to be transformed into useful vessels, God, by realizing that we are, each of us, the foremost of sinners who have received the mercy of God because we acted out of ignorance. God, my prayer today is not for those who are lost in the paganism of sin and are still finding their pleasures in that, but God, it's for your church today who has received your mercy and we're no longer in ignorance anymore. We understand your grace. And yet, Father, we're still walking in legalism. We're still walking in rules and regulations and trying to to please people and trying to be somebody based on our goodness. My prayer today, God, is that every person here will release that and will receive the righteousness of Christ. God, touch our hearts today. For every person who's here right now, I just pray your spirit would move and work and help us to receive the truth. As we continue to just pray for a minute, I want to ask you to consider your life today, to just think about this. Would you, would you like to today to receive the righteousness of Christ? If you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you, you might not even know what that feels like, but if you feel the desire right now to accept what you heard today, accept the righteousness of Christ on your behalf, God wants to give that to you right now. Jesus died so that your sins could be washed away and to give you his righteousness. And he wants to give it to you as a free gift. Scripture says that to as many as receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. And that those of us who would repent and receive him, that his righteousness would be given to us. And so just right now, just pray and tell God, I want Jesus to come into my life and take away my sins. I want his righteousness. Thank you for the free gift. It's that simple. Let God do that work in your heart. Christians and church, gathering place, we need this word today. We need to be this light in this community. This community is so similar to Ephesus. And our friends here who are who are who are weighted down by the heavy burden of, of right and wrong and trying to live in a way that they think will make God happy enough to bless them They're, they are, they need to be set free and the truth will set them free Paul makes no bones about it, the truth is we have what we have because of the mercy of Jesus Christ 
Would you commit today to live that way? And ask God to supernaturally change your heart and your mind so that you can really grasp the depths of that. Father, do that work in this body. This is the, the word that we have for this church, for this community. Make it strong for us, God. We've got to change.